Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Elizabeth Gaines on the line. Elizabeth, how are you? I'm doing well, Michael. How are you today? I am awesome. I've been looking forward to this conversation. We're going to dive right into burnout. Uh, we both work in the space. Completely different approaches on our experiences, but with one common goal that burnout is a horrible thing, and we've seen it uh, destroy lives and impact so many, including ourselves. So tell us a little bit about your backstory and why burnout is such an important cause for you, and then we'll dive into uh, some things that we can do to alleviate burnout with you know, the people we care about and organizations and individuals. Absolutely. So um, I have my own uh, horrific burnout story. I was working as an executive assistant and I was working in the field of domestic minor sex trafficking um, victim rehabilitation and uh, discovered that um, being an EA has a unique signature of stress and uh, I also had very poor ability to generate my own self-love. So I was working in kind of an extreme field, I realized, as a way to kind of look at myself as a worthy human being at the end of the day. And as it turns out, you cannot work hard enough to replace your own self-love. So I had a terrible episode of burnout where it started off as me just feeling really unmotivated and depressed and apathetic. And you, when you start to feel that way, you think it's your issue and, and you think, you know, okay, I just have to mindset my way out of this. And so, you know, I did years of mindset work moving, you know, inch at a time. It was brutal, came out the other side of it and still felt like crap because in the end, those deficits were actually physical. They were subclinical. So when you go to the doctor, he can't really recognize that, but they were absolutely physical and uh, you can't mindset your way out of actual physical deficit. So once I addressed those actual physical deficits, that's when I was able to fully recover from burnout and find my joy and motivation again. Yeah, similar to mine when I was burned out as an executive. So here we are, EA and executive, although never worked with each other. But uh, it, it's interesting on how burnout can impact you based on you know, what type of role you're in and the drive and, and the momentum and the mission, vision, values, basically, of what you do in your roles can really create some interesting scenarios. And, and I know we've talked uh, before on this. You know, I, I feel that an executive is only as strong as their EA. If their EA is really good and you understand and work really well together and understand all the nuances about being able to do the job, uh, it makes for such an easier role. And it does reduce uh, the level of stress if everybody's on the same page and you understand you know, how each of you tick and also you know, workflows and when to work and when not to. But uh, even if you do have a great relationship with the executive, the pressure and the stress of the EA role, which is in many cases, the internal face of the organization because you're the gatekeeper uh, and, yeah. and for internal and often external forces. So 
on top of doing all your normal jobs, you basically have to be the bouncer outside the club in order to let you know somebody in to the club to to meet with the boss and and represent the boss while doing that, right? So everything exactly. that comes out of your mouth is scrutinized and um, and held up to a standard that isn't your own. <laughs> exactly, it's you know, in in understanding what the executive's purpose is, and especially if they're not clear. And I know many executives, you know, I love them, but they're not necessarily the the clear, clearest person when it comes to where they stand on certain things, and they. I don't call them wishy-washy, but they, it's hard to gauge. And as an EA, if you don't understand what direction they're going to go in, your guess is as good as mine. It's like, well, I don't know how they're going to respond to this. And that's no way to operate because it makes your job even harder. Yeah, it's a huge degree of ambiguity and um, gauging of nonverbal signals and you know a, wh- a whole lot of intuition and uh, empathic judgment goes into that because so when you have to anticipate a person rather than a work product, you know, work products have very clear benchmarks of success and failure, but people change on a dime. People get an email, the entire priorities for the days, maybe the week, the month shift, uh, and it's, it's very unpredictable in that way. So it's a special signature of stress. Yeah, and I, you know, client that I uh, am doing some work with, you know, they sent an email a little while ago on something, and I looked at it, and I could have allowed it to derail uh, my plans for that particular initiative, but I thought, nope, I'm going to pause on that. I'm going to look at that in the afternoon, and I already have made a decision that I'm not going to let that email change the direction of what we're doing on that particular project because of an outside party, you know, asking for it sooner than they should be getting it basically without going into too many details. Yeah. No, we're not going to do that because by then, then it just, you know, it basically turns everybody upside down. It's like, okay, stop what you're doing. We got to do this instead. And then you, then you're constantly in firefighting mode. And again, that's where prolonged stress can lead into burnout. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's this sort of reactionary mode, which from a scientific perspective keeps you in sympathetic response, which is fight flight. Uh, When the only way that we can be in rest and relax is when we are proactive, when we are planning our future, when we are saying these are the steps that we're going to take. And that's from a very relaxed state where we have all of our faculties. But when we're in fight flight, Uh, we only have access to uh, a certain amount of logic and reason. Basically, the brain is really funneling what what you're able to take in and process because it needs to keep the channels clear for surviving. And so when we're in fight flight, we don't have the ability to think to forward think. We can't think about the future. We can't think 10 steps ahead. We can only think about right now. And the stress level that goes along with that is incredibly high. And and so many people tend to stay in that fight or flight situation. The amygdala is a funny thing and it's, it's helpful you know, to protect us, of course, but oftentimes, especially in the work environment, it really creates havoc and you lose. And like you said, you, you lose the ability to look towards the future. Yeah. You also lose clarity again, because it's filtering that information. So you're not able to see everything clearly. It could literally be right in front of you, but because the amygdala is filtering, you You can't can't see it. 
see it. Yeah. And, and, and that's one of those big things where from an outsider point of view, if you see somebody that's going through a situation, it's like they're, they're trying to find something. Maybe someone's really upset. It's like, I can't find a particular utensil if they're cooking dinner. It's like, I can't find it. And you look down and it's like, it's, it's right there. Yeah. It's right there. <laughs> And they can't see it because they're just in, and it, and and that's a big, you know, a big explanation for a lot of people on why they have such a difficult time getting out of that particular situation is because they can't even see a way out. They're just constantly fighting or, or, or or just wanting to punch their way out of things, but they, they don't know where to punch. Yeah. And, and, and I would like to say that I think the way this shows up for EAs in particular is that we talk about this um, sympathetic response as being either fight or flight. But I know a lot of us who are uh, not alpha personalities um, and who tend to have a people pleasing aspect to us don't resonate with fight or flight. We resonate with freeze, which is absolutely also a sympathetic response, putting you in that primitive brain, putting the amygdala in charge. But what that kind of looks like is like if the boss is yelling at you, you can't yell back, you can't punch the boss in the face, you can't run away. So what is left? You freeze. You freeze and you internalize that and you, you use all of your energy to stop what is happening inside of you, which is actually extremely consumptive of energy. Um, but I, I just wanted to point that out because I think a lot of us don't resonate with fight flight. We're like, I'm not running away. I'm not like getting bites. So. Yeah. It's one of those things too, where you, the people pleasing things, they don't want to upset anybody. So they end up taking harm on themselves and they internalize it. Internalizing and, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it just eats away at you and they, they replay that scene over and over and over again. Yes, the ruminating circular thoughts. Absolutely, yeah. And it sticks with them all day, all evening. If it happens towards the end of a work day or a work week, then all weekend it ruins their weekend because it's all they're. It's all they're going to think about. Yeah, yeah. I've been there, and and I feel like for in this the grand scheme of nature. Fight flight is nature's first choice because there is a release that is attached to that, right? Like if I punch you, I'm releasing that stress. If I run away, I'm releasing that stress. Freeze is like last resort because when I freeze, there's no release. There's no release. I have to find room in my body to hold all that stress. Yeah, and that's the problem because if it's retaining all of that stress, your body doesn't have the ability, especially for sleep. And I'm a big advocate getting really good quality sleep to repair all the damage that we do to ourselves on a daily basis. Necessary. Yeah. And if you're all wound up and internalizing all this stress and you haven't figured out a way to release it and you're just holding on to it, uh, you know, basically sticking it into like the piggy bank of ourselves going, okay, I don't, I don't want to spend yeah. it. I want to keep it in here. Well, it just eats away yeah. at you. And then, your body's not resting, yeah. which means today's damage is going to get piled on tomorrow's damage the next day, the next day, next day. And then, then you, then you start running into some physical ailments and, you know, significant mental ailments. And then your quality of your work continues to drop and totally. little things become gigantic. And next thing you know, you, you're having a really difficult time and uh, it's impacting every aspect of your life. Yeah, there is rent to be paid um, 
for this for storing stress and that rent is your vital reserve and your ability to adapt and your ability to be energetic and fully engaged or in my case back in 2009 it was it was a vital organ that uh, uh, took the heat for that and thankfully i'm still here but yeah it's it's you, you can't bottle it up you have to have releases and preferably live away in such a way where you recognize these things and can make the necessary adjustments so you don't retain that stress it it you you deal with it you you process it however it needs to be but also in a way where you can create situations and scenarios where those things aren't happening all the time. And I think that's yeah. what I want to want to dive into next as far as the EA and executive relationship. How are some, or what are some techniques that you know, have worked for you in, in your world as being an EA that you think is really beneficial for other EAs to implement to make sure that they can kind of alleviate some of these challenges that we've been talking about so far? I think communication with the executive is key. Uh, and, and I think um, when we get far enough down the road in that relationship and um, certain patterns of communication have been built, both of you can recognize that they're not productive patterns, but it's very hard to break out of them without really concentrated effort. So I think uh, the key there is either to enlist the help of a coach or a coaching team to come in and uh, have a third party sort of observe and critique the communication style or to sit down and just say to the executive, um, you know, I, I would really like this, re you know, the, this working relationship to be stronger and better so that I can be a better partner for you so that I can be a better sounding board um, so that we can have uh, more trust when I have to go out and represent you and you know speak for you so uh, can we sit down and really work on three or four points of communication and as long as they're clear and they're concise and you've taken on the responsibility to think through them and come up with the solution the executives are generally very receptive yeah, I find the most uh, situations where I've seen that uh, dynamic improve was where they got an understanding about how each other work and, and tick. And, you know, the great EAs that I've had in my career, that was something that I was intentional about. It's like, okay, what, you know, how do you want me to communicate with you? And what yeah. makes sense yeah. um, and, and share these, how I would like to be communicated with. Here's some things. These are things to bring to my attention. These are things, if you can deal with them and just give me an FYI, if there's a need to, then that's great. If it needs my involvement, then obviously bring me into it, but you know, basically do a, a filtering, but you know, keep me posted. So I'm not surprised, especially if someone talks to the board about a situation if i don't know about it and the board's asking me about it i'm gonna go oh, i suppose i could bs my way out of it but if i know my team and everything else but i would prefer to have at least some insider information before getting approached by a board member regarding a particular matter and uh, again Absolutely. it's just figuring those communication channels out uh, is, is a big thing and i know some executives are really difficult to communicate with and that goes back to not just them as an executive, but just them as a person. You know, there's things going on, past traumas, could be a variety of different things. And that baggage that they bring to the table and, you know, digging through that is not an easy endeavor, but it's worth it 
if you can if you can get both parties to agree okay we need to work on this because there's obviously additional things that they need in that and bringing in an outside coach or facilitator to help flush that out really makes a big difference because if your ea and executive relationship is strong the organization will be strong and they'll be able to navigate through all kinds of things including pandemics for example yeah, I think the organizations yeah. that are doing okay right now, it, you could you know trace it right up to the top and you know what that relationship is like with the executive and the EA and and the rest of the leadership team uh, as they navigate through these ever changing waters to figure out okay how do we lead this organization and absolutely you, you, you know uh, the strong ones yeah because I think communication is so nuanced human communication is a complex thing and so it's it's beyond just the substance of what um executive and ea need to communicate to each other that's the framework but then people respond in different ways uh based on how you frame information so how does your executive like to receive bad news how do they like to receive unexpected news how do they like to receive good news um and 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 knowing those subtler ways of how they are best able to hear information um, is a huge part of the learning curve of getting to know that person and being able to deliver communication in the right way so that it can be heard received and acted upon without a stress response you know, one of the jokes i used to have with uh an ea that i had years ago was okay how many bottles of tums is this bad news and and they they would say oh just a couple couple pieces of tums or uh, you, you might want to order a case here i'm like okay yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but but tongue-in-cheek it's like okay this is significant so immediately you know you start thinking okay what is this going to be but then, you know, my own coping mechanisms realized, okay, I've been presented with potentially really challenging information here. I need to level set myself so I can hear it clearly so I can, I don't need to go on fight and flight because you can tell it's like, oh, here we go. And it's like, no, yeah. wait, let's, let's calm. Let's hear the information as, as much as I can without emotion. And so that way I can look and say, okay, how do we navigate around or through this situation? What can we do? Absolutely. And what can your EA do to frame that in a way that helps not engage fight flight in you and, and therefore like uh, no fight flight in the EA. Yeah. Cause you do that, you're going to make things a lot easier and the big things don't seem as big. And the little things definitely don't get big. Uh, I, I forgot who said this to me. I probably should have wrote this down. But you know, they said, you know, keep the little issues little and, yeah. and yeah. do that. And there's ways to do that. But it, it takes work uh, and communication and practice. But at the end of the day, it ends up making things so much better. So, so one of the things you, you'd mentioned, too, earlier on in pre-show and all that stuff is um, where some – EAs may think they have burnout, but actually it's something different than that. So let's, let's dive into a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, um, I, I noticed in myself as an EA, when I was going through what I would term as burnout, um, that I had really reduced ability to concentrate. Um, if the phone rang, then it would take me 10 minutes after I got off the phone to 
figure out where I had left off in my tasks and like what was important. It took me a long time to write a to-do list and figure things out. And um, I was just spacey and really unable to focus. And um, because, you know, the doctor said, everything looks good on your tests. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, it's just me. Like I'm no longer engaged or like I, I don't love the job or the mission doesn't appeal to me anymore. And I have to figure out how to correct this in, I, I'm broken. Something in me is broken and I got to fix this. And of course your executive notices when your attention span tanks and when you uh, are having trouble with short-term memory, when things fall off the list. Uh, and your executive is going to then say like, hey, your job performance is really falling down, which of course is going to you know, ramp up that stress response even more. But what is actually happening physically is that you have um, asked your primary stress hormone, which is your cortisol, to pump at high levels without a break for so long that it can no longer do it. So you've been way up here and you've been like had tons of energy and really nice mental clarity and focus, but now your body's adaptive reserve isn't able to keep that up anymore. So you start sliding down <laughs> and your energy kind of flat lines. Maybe you like completely fall out in the afternoon and you need a second cup of coffee or you need sugar or you get a headache and you, you're noticing that you're taking, um, aspirin every day at a certain time and you can't think as clearly. These are not signs that you hate your life and you hate your job. These are signs that you are actually running physical deficits. And uh, that lack of concentration that we start to feel is not us no longer being engaged or not wanting to do the job or having terrible job performance. That is actually our cortisol not being able to serve us in the way that we're used to it serving us. And that mental fogginess, that brain fog is an absolute result of a physical deficit and can be corrected physically. So what are some things that you can do physically to help correct that? Because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, there may be a hybrid of these things going on with so many people right now where, yes, they are what we would clinically describe as someone being burned out, but they also might have this deficit going on that's in unison with this. So what are some things that they can do to, to help kind of improve that? Well, if, if the brain fog is constant, um, it's not something we can mindset our way out of. So uh, it is a good, good practice to come see somebody like me who can um, run some tests to measure that deficit uh, while it's still subclinical before it becomes disease. You go to the doctor, the doctor will do a blood draw and he'll say, oh, your cortisol is in the normal range. Um, but when we look at it over the course of a whole day, like if you do a saliva test, for example, and we see four points or six points, then we see that it's, it's too high here and it's not high enough here and the circadian rhythm is off and that's why you feel like you can't concentrate in the afternoon. Those, things, those subtleties won't show up on a blood test. Um, so if you come and work with somebody like me, we can really iron that out. We can see where your cortisol level is at. We can give you some natural remedies for extending the, the cortisol that you are producing and helping to produce more and helping that be in the right distribution. But if we are not addressing this chronic fight-flight state in which we stay, 
all the supplementing in the world, all the correcting of the physical deficit in the world won't last for long. So we have to figure out ways uh, to release that stress, to not continuously be in fight flight, to de-stress ourselves. And I think a big part of that for EAs is having some time off at night. Uh, I know I had an executive who her time of night was like was from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. And so uh, I used to have a BlackBerry like back in those days. And when you got an email, this red light would flash. And I remember like, you know, getting ready to go to bed and just like seeing the light flash and and feeling a stress response in my body, like right before I'm trying to go to bed. Um, and then you go and you check the email to make sure like the house is not on fire. Right. And, you know, you find out it's definitely something that could have waited till morning, but now I'm not going to sleep well because my cortisol just shot up right before I'm trying to go to bed. So I think it's really important to have protected time where, um, the influences of work are not penetrating into home life. Uh, and that's definitely some expectations that we need to set with our executives around, how, t- how often, how timely do you need emails answered? If you work best at night, am I expected to work at night? Am I, you know, can I stop looking at the phone at 6 p.m. and really like wind down and relax uh, with, my, with my partner or with my friends or go exercise without having to worry that I'm missing something or that something has happened that is an emergency? Yeah, and that's become a huge, it was always a huge problem, but during this pandemic, it's getting worse because our work and our home for many people are the same location. Yeah. And there isn't boundaries around when you are working and when you're not. And uh, that's, again, where the communication comes in to say, and and I even, of course, it helps being an executive. boldness tends to come through and I know you have boldness as well but for many people they're afraid to be you know direct with their executive because they don't want to lose their job and and it's that's what I like to refer to as the imbalance of this employer employee relationship Uh, it needs to get more level where it's a partnership type of situation instead of the you know the you know power and no power type of relationship, which I think in many cases seems to be the dynamic. Uh, but yeah, you need to establish boundaries. And as an executive, and I and I tell executives this as well, quit sending email after five o'clock and don't send any on the weekend. Why? You know, what is, are you a weekend shop? Is, are those normal operating hours? Then if they're not, then don't send email. And I would be real and I, whenever I was leading an organization, I made sure that was clear, of course, after my my own little burnout situation from a little over a decade ago, going back into new roles, I told anybody that reported to me, it's like you will not get an email from me after five o'clock during the weekdays, and you will never get an email from me on the weekends unless it is a specific emergency. Here is the list of what an emergency is. Mm-hmm. Building is on fire clients are on fire um what it just there was like four things that i had listed i said unless it meets the criteria for that you will not hear from me or if you know for some reason if the power was out in the building you know or there was a blackout type of situation which we've had you know in the last you know couple decades there's been situations like that where it's like we can't come to work because there's there's you can't get in or nothing's working so those types of instances there would be a message saying 
stay home, can't come in. But other than that, anything that I had come to mind, I would write it down. And of course, now with many email clients, you can type that email and you can schedule to send it and schedule to send it Monday morning. I don't do it first thing at eight o'clock. I usually do it maybe an hour and 20 minutes in because there's going to be other people that are going to be sending emails right away. So yeah, it, it'll be a flurry of emails and that's causes the stress response too. Oh, yeah. too. Yeah. Here it is. It's like you get up, okay, open up email and you're like, Oh my, what? 72. And, and, and that's a lot of people say 72. It's like, okay. A lot of people don't necessarily think about it, but, Imagine if someone came to your desk and physically laid down 72 different files that you had to open up, look, study, basically become a detective, figure out what they're actually asking. Yeah. Okay, now do that 71 more times. Yeah. Yeah, it's like no wonder. So yeah. it, it's email's a great thing, but it's also a pain in my ass. But um, at the end of the day, it's, it, it, you know, coming back down to that communication style and filtering and even the communication with your executive also get communication protocols with everybody else, external and internal vendors and get okay from the executive saying, okay, priorities, what should I focus on? You know, does the, any of these stakeholders take precedence? And usually, you know who they are and they'll say, yep, okay, that one needs to take a little bit more precedence than another one. But yeah, it, there's no shortage of email, but I, I love the fact that I tell people don't send emails at nights and weekends unless it's absolutely necessary or that's when your business is operating. Then, then your time off should be in the morning. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think that's a that's a beautiful system um, and really respectful of your employees. I think sometimes email it's just so easy to write, right? You just dash it off, and. Um, it, Missing a comma or a period in some of these communications actually changes their meaning and causes misunderstandings between executive and executive assistant about what I'm supposed to do. It's amazing how often that happens. <laughs> uh, and so I also exhort uh, executives and executive assistants to figure out a frequency of actual face-to-face -face communication so that we're not relying on these subtle cues from email or there aren't these misunderstandings when a period goes errantly missing um, or that, you know, if I didn't put enough exclamation points, you know, you don't think I'm in a bad mood or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> so face-to-face -face communication is very important for the health of the relationship. Yeah, and even as much as we have 18 billion Zoom calls uh, with a lot of organizations internally and externally now, it still gives us the physical cues of what somebody is asking for, or even a phone call, you know, the hearing them, you can kind of pick up tones and say, okay, this is what we're asking for. But an email, yeah, you could completely misread someone's temperature on something. And yeah. you're like, oh boy, this is going to be a mess. And they're like, no, no, not at all. Yeah. But you read it and you look at it and you're like, uh oh, this is going to be a huge problem for sure. They so they just wrote it in three seconds, you know, and and didn't like craft it really carefully, and it comes off like that, you mm -hmm. know. But yeah, and so it's very easy to misunderstand with an email. Definitely. So I think the theme today is communication. Uh, if you do that, life will be a whole lot easier for everybody involved. So. Absolutely. And if you feel yourself, you know, sliding downhill on, the, on some of these mental clarity issues, 
then consider that that's a physical deficit. Don't beat yourself up. Come get it checked out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So Elizabeth, I loved our time today. Where can people find out more about you and this incredible work you're doing? Uh, you are welcome to schedule a free call with me with no obligation um, at at www.btbcall.com. That's breakthroughburnoutcall.com. Or you can go to breakthroughburnout, spelled uh, T-H-R-U.com to find out more about me and my work. I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So Elizabeth, great talking with you again. Always love chatting with you and the work that you're doing. Really nice to see you today, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.